Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. This episode of Other People is brought to you by Stitcher Smart Radio. You can hear other people while in motion with Stitcher Smart Radio, a free news and talk mobile app available for your smartphone. And when you download Stitcher to hear other people, you have a chance to win some free money. Downloading is quick and easy. Just find Stitcher at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. Download it. It's free. It takes just a few seconds. And then when you register, hit the promo code box and enter other people. When you do that, you're automatically entered to win 100 bucks. It's that easy. The latest episode of the show will then be waiting for you in your favorites. And you'll get access to a ton of other amazing content as well. Always available on demand with no syncing. That's the Stitcher app. Go download it at Stitcher.com or in the App Store, free of charge. It's available for your iPhone, your Android, or your tablet computer. And don't forget to enter the promo code OTHERPEOPLE when you register. This is an app. You can apply it. Go and get it. Oh my God. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Right. All right, everybody, right. here we go again. This is it. This is Other People. This is the program. This is Informal Conversation, recorded digitally at home. My guest today is Amelia Gray. She's the author of three works of fiction, the most recent of which is a novel. It's called Threats. It is now available from Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. Uh, she's a very gifted young writer, and I'm very glad to have her here on the program today. She and I are going to be conversing at length in just a little bit. Uh, but first, what's been happening? Uh, it's been very busy around here. There's been a lot going on. My older sister was in town uh, last week with her husband and uh, their three girls, my nieces. So uh, there was some family time happening. There was some chaos. There was some togetherness. There was some cohesion. And there was also uh, the Mega Millions lottery drawing, which uh, took hold of me roughly 10 days ago in ways that are both fascinating and uh, a little disturbing. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I didn't even realize that the Mega Millions was even happening until the jackpot got up to almost $700 million. And it was at that point uh, that it was in the news and it was a national story uh, and it caught my attention and it became almost stupid not to try. And just give it a shot. I mean, it, it's a dollar to play uh, for a shot at $700 million. And, you know, yeah, I know that the odds are extremely long. 
uh, infinitesimally long and that you have a better chance uh, of getting struck by lightning than, than you do winning this thing. And I think I read that somewhere. But uh, in reality, I have come close to getting struck by lightning before. True story. Uh, so I was encouraged by that and felt uh, that if that could happen, uh, then at least there was a fighting chance that I might win this thing. So I played two rounds. I bought two tickets for $2 at a local gas station. Uh, and what's odd and interesting about it is how emotional I got thinking about victory in the hours that followed. Like $700 million uh, dreaming of that quantity uh, and what that did to my person and to my mind and uh, to my spirit, thinking to myself, what would I do with $700 million? And, you know, my imagination sort of ran away with me as it often does. And it, you know, before I knew it, it got kind of out of hand. And I was imagining press conferences and swarms of journalists and flashbulbs were popping and a giant check with my name on it was there. Uh, and then there were heated conversations with friends and family members about what to do. And there were attorneys and boardrooms and financial advisors and huge charitable donations. And I remember deciding firmly uh, that I would shun the media and that I would not seek fame for this, that I was a private citizen and I would like to remain so. Uh, but the media kept coming and I had to elude them and requests uh, for money started rolling in and suddenly my checking account had $700 million in it, which meant that I would no longer have to make decisions about money based on anything other than emotional context. You know, at that point, it wouldn't be a matter of if I could have something. It would be a matter of, of how badly do I want it. Which is sort of crazy to think about. Uh, so long story short, I got carried away to the point where I was actually emotionally intense about this. And uh, at one point, I remember turning to my wife uh, and being like, listen, honey, if we win this thing, I will not, I will not let it destroy me. <laughs> and I was serious about it. I was actually really serious when I said this. And I told her... Uh, in no uncertain terms, that we would give away most of the money. Uh, an absurd amount of money would have to be given away. It was the only proper response. It was the only way to prevent this windfall from corrupting our souls. And anything less would be a gross injustice and a terrible violation of our core principles. And, uh, you know, it just got more absurd from there. Like I was imagining having conversations with Warren Buffett over the telephone, seeking his advice and counsel. Uh, you know, I decided that uh, most of the money that I would give away uh, would be, would indeed be given smartly on the basis of sound financial advice, you know, to maximize its value. And that was a big part of the fantasy to be wise with the money, to handle that sort of insane good fortune. Well, and to earn the admiration, uh, not only of guys like Warren Buffett, but also uh, the common man and to not go completely ape shit and buy like seven houses and a Rolls Royce with gold rims and an airplane and stuff like that. Uh, but instead to kind of remain relatively unchanged and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, I was imagining friends of mine being interviewed on camera, uh, telling anchor men and anchor women that I hadn't changed at all. Uh, I saw, uh, op-eds in newspapers heralding my decision to live modestly and to, uh, give away my mega fortune so it was kind of self-aggrandizing, this fantasy, as fantasies often are. Uh, it was kind of like, what would Gandhi do if Gandhi won the lottery? That was sort of my mindset. That was, that was my benchmark. Um, but at the same time, uh, I did think to myself, wouldn't it be fun to not be so careful about, uh, you know, like a small portion of the uh, winnings? 
like, like let's just say $20 million out of 700. So, you know, with the other 600 million, you're extremely careful. You're extremely wise. And then let's say you keep, uh, you know, like $50 million for yourself and for your friends and for your family. And then with 20 million bucks, and I don't know if I'm doing the math right here, but with the remaining $20 million, uh, you basically just give it away as stupidly as you possibly can without much thought at all in big fistfuls of cash, just dropping it out of windows, uh, giving it to teenagers at drive through windows, walking up to a random stranger in the street who looks like she, you know, she's having a shitty day and you just walked up to her and you hand her an expensive Louis Vuitton briefcase and it's filled with crisp $100 bills. Like, why not do that if you have that much money? Now, how come lottery winners never do stuff like that? Seems like it would be fun. And uh, what's interesting at this point is that none of the three winners uh, have come forward to claim their prize, which seems odd to me. And, uh, but then again, like, what do I know? Like maybe they're overwhelmed. Maybe they lost their tickets. Maybe they're consulting professional advisors and getting, uh, ready for their immense life change. It's hard to say. Uh, what I do know, uh, is that I did not win and, uh, that I did feel significant disappointment upon learning this news, like energy, uh, (laughs) energy drained from my body. Uh, it was detectable. My life lost a little bit of its excitement. Uh, I felt strangely a little bit ripped off somehow. Uh, and, and it didn't last long. You know, like these feelings did not last long, but I remember I was in my car and I was reading the winning numbers on my phone, uh, while I was driving, uh, because I couldn't wait. Uh, you know, I was stopped at a red light, but I was in my car. And, uh, when I realized that I had not emerged victorious, I did feel the loss. Uh, you know, I actually did. Uh, and I felt the disintegration, the rapid disintegration of my dream. And there was a little bit of an ache in my chest uh, as I realized there would be no, you know, no $700 million for me. There would be no lightning strike. There would be no press conference. Uh, there, there would be no luck of the gods. And the gods, you know, in this particular instance, did not choose to smile upon me. And they instead let the air out of my heart. Hey, everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. I get, I get, I'm projecting on others, but I get a little overwhelmed. Do you have a hard time socially? Yeah, Generally. sometimes. Yeah, I do. Like, like, uh... 
big groups? Like, are you better at small parties than you are at big parties? Or I, I always have to, to to chunk it down, chunk a big party down to like five people or two people or just one person. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have a hard. I get nervous. Yeah, I was just at a loud bar the other night, and uh, it was a situation where. Um, I was standing there and I have a hard time with noise. I'm kind of like a deaf old man, but yeah. in, in, I have that hearing thing where when I'm in a loud environment, like in indoors and it's this, it's a certain acoustical thing I can't hear. Mm-hmm. And so I'm standing there talking to people and I feel like it compromises my ability to be social. Cause I'm kind of like straining to hear them. And I'm like, I'm watching their mouths, <laughs> like trying to, I'm literally mouth reading. Yeah. It's really awful. No, that makes sense. And then if you, I don't know, when I when I feel myself straining to be louder and like activating my muscles to speak louder, I just sound like I, I feel like I'm an idiot. Like I'm just, hey guys, <laughs> I'm talking about riding in the room, guys. Hey guys, that's that's how I feel. Yeah, Literally, no. like, and I just feel like uh, I don't like loud bars. That's what I don't like. I want if I'm going to go. And the thing about it that gets me, that gets to me is that it just seems fundamentally awkward because hmm. you're there and you're trying to be social. You're trying to have a conversation, but you're trying to have this conversation in an extremely loud room. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. And I guess like I have heard that people drink more when they're in loud rooms. Oh, and so that's why they do it. They turn the music up because they actually don't want you to talk. They want you to drink. Oh God, I think that's the logic. Well, that's insidious. But I just I, I love a bar when they have the volume. Uh, at a nice level. And yeah. You can actually hear people, but mm-hmm. maybe that means I'm getting old. I think probably we're both getting old. Yeah. I feel the same. Yeah. How old are you, Mick? May I ask? Sure. Um, but I'm not going to tell. No. Uh, 29. <laughs> oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you're young. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Publishing books. There it is. Having some success. Drinking tea. Drinking tea. Now, did you uh, did you read when you were out traveling? Did you do some book tour stops and do some readings? Yeah, I read a couple of times, and I was just getting the bronchitis, and so that became bad in right around New York, and then came back and collapsed. But yeah, no, I read I read a couple of times at AWP. I read in in Iowa at Prairie Lights, which was real fun, and then um, I read in uh, New York at the KGB and at the Happy Ending series. And. And then I came home. And it went well? And it went great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Did it, did it cause you stress that then led to this bronchial infection? Oh, it's the, it's the travel stress. You know, I, I like reading. Reading's my favorite part. But I, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, sitting on an airplane and having to sit up in a position like that for many hours. I, yeah. Yeah. So uh, where are you from originally? Tucson, Arizona. What's that like? Warm. Um... Dry, uh, kind of odd, you know. I, I grew up near the uh, Air Force Base, and uh, there's a lot of like scorpions. My grandma got stung by a scorpion on her foot. Oh wow! Yeah. What happens when you get stung by a scorpion? Like, what what is the protocol? What do you do? Well, you call poison control and freak out, but you really ought not to because you just have to put like ice on it. I once got stung three times by the same damn scorpion in my bed. I was like 15. So wait, what are these things? They what, what do they sting you with? Their tails? Yeah, like a little like a little hook stinger on their tail, <laughs> like that. Ah, yeah, no, it's bad. Yeah, um, it's bad. And I I was having this dream that I was walking on a bed of needles, and then I woke up and this thing had stung me on my feet. 
Yeah. I oh. mean, but it's fine. It hurts for a couple of days, but you don't need to. I, I think if you, unless you're very young or very old, um, I think it's it's okay. So wait, and you got stung on like the bottom of your foot? Like on my ankles. It was like, it was under my sheets in right. my bed. And oh, so it, God. it got all on my ankles and feet. Just crawled in the door or the window or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, through the pipes or something. It was, it was yeah. Ugh. So that's Tucson. I'm trying to even picture a scorpion and sadly I can't do it. Well, it's got these little guys, the little pinchers and then, and then, uh, and then kind of a carapace and then a tail that goes zoom, like that. And it's like a little baby dinosaur. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, those things are running around and then they have the, uh, what do you call those cute little pig things? Uh, javelinas. Javelinas. Mm-hmm. I like a javelina. I like a javelina too. They used to. They they'll run around. The big ones are not as cute. They're like a refrigerator uh, on hooves, uh, and they'll just trot towards you. They're blind, but if they get cowed, they'll murder you. Oh really? Yeah. If they get nervous, they'll they'll gore you. With horns? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but see, that that's like wild boars. Like, wild pigs are notoriously evil. Like, wild boars are aggressive animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know if javelinas are... I'm assuming they're related. Yeah, they are. I, I think... Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having written a story about one, I feel like I should speak with more authority, but I don't know <laughs> exactly how they relate. I think they're wild boars. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, take me to when you're uh, a young child okay. frolicking in the desert of Tucson. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's what happened. Sure, for a little bit. Was it a good, I mean, like, were you bookish? Were you uh, an outgoing kid? Like, what, who were you back then? Oh, I was a weird little kid. Um, I I like to play outside a lot. Um, there was a... There was a um, Palo Verde tree that I was obsessed with the colors of it so I'd go sit and look at it my parents probably thought I had a mental problem you know wait so what is a Palo Verde tree I don't know it. oh it's a tree that's kind of greenish uh I mean I see the the word Verde mm, I do speak right a bit there. of yeah yeah uh you're right but but if you look real closely sometimes you'll get different colors and like the the different when the bark gets the the branch gets close to the tree I mean, you can imagine as a father of a child watching your... <laughs> and you, you would sit like Indian style and ponder this tree? Just stare at it, yeah. See, I would think I had a genius on my hands. No. You, like you're seeing something deeper. No, I wasn't. I no. was just a little idiot, you know. Just strange. I was doing my best. Yeah. But um, no, we moved to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina when I was about uh, seven. Oh. And, um, and so I got to play outside there, a different environment but staring still. at staring at trees different trees yeah but sure had like a fairy colony and my sister and i played um nazis and orphans uh-huh. that classic game yeah right um, it's like dungeons and dragons yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> same idea so what does nazis and orphans entail uh nazis and orphans is a game where uh, uh it's, it's best played with at least three uh, so that two people can be orphans um so there's there's two girls that are orphans and then the Nazi or Nazis um, comes to uh, the orphanage to kill them, and then they have to escape, and then they run into the woods, and then they have to fight the Nazis with you know you make a bow and arrow or you make a little like uh, like uh, bombs out of little gum sticker um, uh, seeds, okay, and uh, you throw them. And then the Nazis die, or the orphan dies, or like an orphan gets injured, or a Nazi gets injured. There's a lot of like permutations at that point. So you had rules. Sure, I mean, as insofar as any of those games have rules, yeah. So now, are you are you Jewish? 
No. You're not? Okay. No. I didn't know if like this had like a special, like the Nazis, <laughs> would. it would seem to me that if you're Jewish, Nazis would take on a special, yeah. uh, you know, role in yeah. your imagination. No, no. Actually, I think I picked it up because my grandfather used to tell us stories about, um, just made up stories. Another, uh, 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 a story he liked to tell was of this penguin named Pangy the Penguin who lived in the North Pole. And his best friends, Amelia and Aaron, lived with him. And his favorite thing to do was eat pistachio ice cream. And sometimes the Nazis would come. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was what you... So your grandfather was a storyteller. He was a raconteur. It was just that one story. That was... It, it, was, it really was just <laughs> But he that. got a lot of mileage out yeah, of it. Yeah, really good. It was a good story. Yeah. We would, we would always request that, you know, maybe this could be the time when they all dig tunnels to get away or, you know, they swim in the ocean or they visit. Um, but, but it's truly like a, a special memory. Yeah. It sticks with you. Yeah. Anything you, that you can still remember mm-hmm. must be there for a reason, I think. Okay. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I imagine so. Yeah. Um, so, uh, wait a minute. I want to talk about the move because it seems like Tucson and Charlotte would be two different places culturally in addition to having different uh, weather and landscape. Sure, yeah. My my dad works uh, worked and works for IBM. Oh, okay. And the plant in Tucson closed and they moved everybody to to charlotte and then after seven more years the plant in charlotte closed and they moved us all back to tucson oh wow yeah so it was like a southern sandwich and i started playing the violin i went to a performing arts school um i i started going towards like i wanted to be like a studio musician or like a freelance quartet so, playing so are you good you're a good violinist i mean i'm not that good but, but like if i if you had a violin here you could play. i could play it that's cool well do you still play? Yeah. I mean, sometimes. it's it's um, It used to be very stressful because, you know, when you're not, when you're not that good at something and you, you, you know what it would sound like if it were better. Oh, I know. You, yeah. <laughs> you have no idea how well I, how well I know. Um, so, okay. So you're playing the violin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this started in Charlotte? This started in Charlotte. Yeah. Did you like it there, or did you miss Tucson the whole time? I, Tucson always felt like like a like a really good, strange dream. Uh, the weather was. I love the weather in Tucson, and I'm a desert girl. And the landscape and the smell after the rain, that kind of stuff, is all very like formative um, stuff. My parents are still there. I love to go visit. Um, so it's it got to be relaxing, right? That's yeah. where, like, there's lots of health spas mm-hmm. in Tucson. Isn't the that where Canyon good. Ranch or whatever? It is. How did you know that? I don't know. People I know go there and, like, okay. they relax there. Okay. They take, you know, remember they used to say they would take a cure? Mm-hmm. I always like that phrase. Yeah, Why don't pe- people don't take cures anymore? They ought to. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take one. I was just in Palm Springs. Right. People I'm take, they take cures out mm-hmm. there. So, uh, are there, like, are there any hot springs or anything? Um, not in Tucson. That's closer to like Truth or Consequences, New Mexico and up near, uh, Albuquerque and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, no, Tucson is just, it's good. It's good air, like kind of thinner, uh, less polluted. Um, you know, the sun feels good and it really bakes you in a way that it doesn't anywhere else. And, uh, and there's a nice, there are mountains for nice hiking and I don't know. I, I, yeah. So okay, so the the first stint in Tucson lasted until you were what age? About I uh, seven. Okay, mm-hmm. and then you're in Charlotte for another seven, seven years? years, and then so from fourteen until mm-hmm. 
Like 18. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Tucson. Tucson. So you were high school in Tucson, essentially. Right. Okay. Right. And so were you bookish then? Um, Did you have an inclination that you're like, I'm going to be a writer when you were a kid, or is it something that developed later? Well, I always loved reading, and I was the kind of kid that would, would carry a book in the line of the cafeteria and really look forward to the you know, book sale kind of nerd stuff. And in, were, were you a big nerd? Yeah, I was a pretty big nerd. I tried to be in chess club, but I was never good at chess. And so I just kind of hung out around the chess club guys. Uh, what were those guys like? Oh, <laughs> you know what those guys were like. No, I don't. Honestly, I don't. Yeah. I was not never a chess player. Um, but I did watch a great documentary on uh, Bobby Fischer. Mm-hmm. And it t- totally fascinated me. I never saw that. Yeah. I, what I didn't realize is how charismatic he was in his youth. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I always just thought, because you, you know, you, 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 yeah, you only knew him later in his life when he was sort of like, uh, off, you know, off the rails. But, yeah. And just elusive and, like, wouldn't deal with the media at all. But, like, when he first started out, mm-hmm. and he was actually on TV when he was a kid. He was this charming kid, and he was a prodigy. And, really? Yeah. Well... Yeah, they're. Um, I guess the the by and large chess guys are. Um, they're they're sort of like poets in the way that they know they're really good at something that's a really specialized field. That like say, like being a really good ballet dancer, like is it's great, or you're a good violinist, but like the bulk of society doesn't really know about it or care like being a good writer <laughs> like being a good writer too at large yeah, yeah i don't mean to yeah call poets out okay so i want to get back to your youth all right i want to finish like i'm trying to oh, yeah, i'm trying to there. give some structure sure uh so when, you, when you're in high school you're playing the violin you're hanging with the chess guys mm-hmm. are you dating is that happening in high school um i dated one guy a cello player uh-huh. um from um 14 and then i moved away and then we did like a very uh long distance very romantic letter writing yeah well yeah. letter writing detail sending oh very like romantic sweet letters you we still were, have them yeah yeah my mother's house yeah okay mm-hmm and uh yeah uh and then i went to college and then kind of that that ended so that that lasted all the way through high school yeah did you travel to see one another a couple times how did did that work in high school um you know for summer i would go visit charlotte and stay with where would i even stay i can't like probably on the on his parents couch and we were all very religious and so there was no concern about extra sexual activities oh really uh yeah what what like what religion were you uh presbyterian and you were devout yeah your family was devout Mm -hmm. like what to to what degree give me some like uh, illustrate this for me well my my dad remains the head usher at the at saint mark's presbyterian church okay and um are your parents still together or do you yeah okay Uh, I just think my mother's house sounds kind of sweet. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, but mom became, she actually had a Catholic moment in 1999 and became Catholic again, uh, returned to her roots. Oh, so she was originally Catholic, but she married your father Mm -hmm. and became Presbyterian. Right. And then she went back to Catholicism in 99. Mm -hmm. And she's still there? She's still there. Even through all the scandal and everything. Oh yeah. See, mm-hmm. I, my, I come from Catholic people. Do you? My parents are still gung ho. Still, yeah, gotta yeah. gotta do it. I've been out since I was like eight. Mm. I just never liked it. That was early. <laughs> yeah, that's <I went, laughs> good. I checked out early. Yeah. <laughs> um, are you still religious? Um, not in that way. No. Like you don't church go. No. So when did that end? Mm, 
About 18, probably about high school graduation. Did, did you have like an intellectual, I mean, obviously you had some sort of break, but like, I mean, can you uh, articulate why? Well, I, my relationship with, with organized religion was always kind of weird. I felt very, um, uh, very othered in it. I don't even, I don't know. I always kind of put myself in a different category, not a better category, just I, I would go sit by myself, or as soon as I was allowed to, I operated the soundboard in the, in the back of the of the church instead of like sitting with everyone because I just kind of couldn't handle it, and I didn't could never really articulate why and just cause it didn't feel part of the community. Yeah, yeah. fell off, and that's and, me too. Yeah, and whenever there was like a passing of the peace ceremony when you had to like touch other people's hands, I hated that. Me too. I would have to like, oh, God. is that what they call it in Presbyterian passing mm-hmm. of the peace? Yeah, we say like peace be with you. Yeah. And everyone's got to shake hands and like mm-hmm. all the families are kissing. I didn't even want to like, kiss my own mom. I'm yeah. just, this is creepy. It's weird. Yeah. I don't want yeah. enforced peace. Right. Right. I'll I do this that. on my own time. Yeah. But, yeah. And like talk, like talking about things that seem so personal. Um, it just didn't feel good or right. And- church. I'm sorry. You know, like, and like there's a family. I'll never forget it. They all used to wear the same outfit at mm. my church. Like literally the whole family, male and female. Wow. Would wear the same exact outfit as a show of unity, and they always sat in the front row. Oh, I bet there was some weird shit. Oh, God. You know it. (laughs) You know it. There's no way that was healthy. No. Uh, So, okay, so did you ever, you know, it doesn't sound like you protested that much to your parents. No, I mean, it's, but see, although I felt weird and and I I had a a weird, like, superstitious uh, affiliation with religion, I felt like. I, I felt like it was maybe good luck or something or, or that, you know, there was something out there and that I'd better just kind of hedge my bets. And Do you I, pray on airplanes to this day <laughs> when you take off or when you land? No. You don't? I don't. You never, like, you don't, do you think of a, a man in the sky watching over everything? Uh, no, no. Yeah. See, I, but I still pray on air. I'm a little nervous on, on an airplane. Yeah. I'll still be like, come on, whatever's out there. Uh, uh, yeah. Like, help me out. It's sort of a, <laughs> well, I used to kiss my fingers and touch the side of the airplane. Until a couple months ago, and this pilot saw me do it and started making fun of me. Oh, really? It. Yeah. Like, like, how are you kissing your fingers? Just like, you know, like, oh, okay. trying to be... Uh, I made an LL Cool J motion for anyone. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but, like, you know, I tried to be kind of casual about it. But Like, then, as you're entering the plane? Yeah, just kind of like that. Because I always have that moment, like that moment where you're on the in the little tunnel mm-hmm. thing, and then you're crossing over into the plane, <laughs> like, and as soon as you step on, you're like, okay, this is it. This is it. Now it's on. This is the zone of my death. And, yeah, and I'm looking around, like, are these the people? Like, are these the people that I'm going to die with? <laughs> yeah. Do they look doomed? I think, I think, yeah. Yeah. I always look at the stewardess. Well, I just flew this tiny propeller plane into... Um, Iowa? Yeah, where was I? No, I was just in Charlottesville. I forgot to say I was also in Charlottesville. Okay. Um, so I flew from D.C. to Charlottesville, and it's like there were 13 of us. And Why and did they just, just drive you to Charlottesville from D.C.? Well, it's like three hours. Oh, it is? Yeah. Is that really? I, I've been there. I can't. I don't remember the distance. So being they there. say. Yeah. And everyone was driving pretty slow in Charlottesville. But right. um, but I don't know. I mean, those planes will just ride the wind and just drop. Sure. And people were some. It, it was like a screaming kind of drop. One of them. So mm-hmm. ooh, scary. But yeah, yeah, I don't like that at all. I don't like it. I don't like it. But I don't know. I don't think if there's a god out there, he cares too much if I live or die in a plane. You know, no, yeah, clearly. I mean, not about you, but I'm just like saying clearly about like humanity. <laughs> yeah. You know. Right. No. Yeah. Um. Okay. So uh, were your parents? Uh, we, we know that they were religious. Like, mm-hmm. were they, and your dad worked for IBM, mm-hmm. uh, are, they, are they nerdy people? Are they bookish? 
Uh, well, my mom, uh, they both went to, to, they got their, some degrees in art. My mom has an MFA in visual art. My dad's got a BA, um, before he got his engineering degree. And, um, what was like the BA in what? Uh, art. Yeah. <laughs> art. Okay. You know, like a painter from Oklahoma university. Okay. Oh, wow. As I recall. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're, um, they're thoughtful and, uh, NPR listening, um, uh, book reading people. Mom reads her Time magazine pretty religiously, and Dad just finished Infinite Jest. No shit. It's pretty cool, yeah. Wow. Yeah. At your suggestion? Uh, yeah, we read it together, actually. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, it was cool. That's cool. Yeah. So you, you had a good family? Good family. Siblings? Uh, yeah, one sister. She is in China right now. She just sent me an email. All right. Yeah. What's she doing over there? She's teaching and learning uh, Mandarin. And, it's a good uh, thing to learn. I was, you know, what's weird is I was just thinking before you came over, like maybe I should just learn Mandarin. <laughs> You're just sitting alone. Yeah, I was. Yeah, okay. I don't know why that popped into my head, but I was like, it would just be useful. Yeah. Like I was trying to think of things in the world that are useful. It's probably like, the most useful language you can learn right now. It's, yeah, as an American, right. they, they need like emissaries. They need go-betweens who can speak the language. Well, yeah, and the bit the way business is going, I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So maybe I should have my daughter learn that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of schools, it's just like automatic. Like my, yeah, there's an elementary school uh, right near where my wife grew up, and every kid in the whole elementary school learns Mandarin. Really? Uh, public school. Really? Uh-huh. Okay. Huh. Well, that's good. Yeah. So, okay, so you're in uh, Tucson. You're, uh-huh. you're playing the violin. Right. Your parents are cool. Yes. You're about to break with the church officially and forever. <laughs> uh, and where do you go to college? I went to Arizona State University in oh. Tempe, Arizona. Okay, so what's that? That has to be fun. It was the most. No, I don't know, man. I was. It, it was Wasn't it? I mean, it gets this reputation as being this, like, you know, this bastion of hedonism. Yeah, I was such a dork, though. Yeah. I was such a dork. And I don't know. I, I The first year was very. Uh, I was real secluded. As, as, like, I did it to myself, you know, just in the dorm room. Um, on the internet. And then the second year, I, I found some friends. There are Dungeons and Dragons playing folk. Uh-huh. Um, Nazis and uh, princesses? Basically. Or, or what was it? Nazis and orphans? Nazis and orphans, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No princesses. Mm-hmm. No. Um, no. I I don't know. The closest I got to the party scene was going to the gym because they had a really nice like pool. So you were were you an active uh, workout person? Is that what? Was yeah. That? Mm-hmm. What yeah. Was My your... mom actually she works at a YMCA now, so oh. a very active, physically active family. What do you do? Like, what's your your uh, r- racquetball or? No, I like <laughs> I like weightlifting. Okay. And when I was in college, I liked swimming, and um, now I weightlift. Uh, like like what kind of weightlift? Like clean and jerk. Yeah, I can do a clean and jerk. What does that even? I don't even know what that means. You go like, like that. Uh, For those of you listening, there was just a full pantomime. Yeah. Uh, But seriously, though, you you really into it? Uh, Yeah, I am. I'm sad that I've been so sick lately and I can't do it. But um, why weightlifting over like something like uh, more not not traditional, but uh, uh I don't know. I mean, like, what got you there? Well. it's I I was I first liked it because it's so efficient, and you can really uh, monitor your progress and improvement in a lot of different m- metrices um, and and different muscles and different reps and uh, and the and building a muscle is so fascinating and uh, um, being sore 
and you feel like you've accomplished something and and then i just it was it's good uh stress relief and i you know if you're ever angry it's a good like kind of workout sure i don't know i don't mind running and i used to try i was trying to run more and more i could only run like three miles at the most um and very slowly like i just i don't know if i'm i don't think i'm built for that but i've got you know i'm i'm powerful and i can i can squat um (laughs) i can squat a lot so what are you benching these days? <laughs> Actually, my bench is horrible because um, ladies have pretty bad upper arm strength. My max squat was 140, 135 uh-huh. for reps. And my um, my bench, I I think I did 90, but I failed. I failed out and I didn't have a spotter and it was really embarrassing and I haven't uh, tried it since. Yeah. When I was in high school, I dropped a weight bar on my face when I was benching. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Yeah. On your face. Yeah. It broke my nose. It was bad. Were you doing like skull crushers? No, I was just, I was benching on the decline uh, bench press and this guy was supposed to be spotting me as a kid. And, uh, he brought the bar off and he was talking to somebody else and he brought it off at the wrong place and it was down by my neck and I was trying to get it off and the bar just fell on my nose and just, there's this horrible crunching sound. Yeah. Kids are so cruel. Yeah. So (laughs) no, I failed. I failed kind of like on my neck. Uh-huh. And this, I made a strangled noise, and a guy came and helped me, and it was, it was fine. It's not that I was, it's not that I've been too embarrassed to try it again. It was just a really scary. Yeah, feeling. You don't want a weight bar on your <laughs> no. throat. Yeah, it seems obvious. Of yeah. course, of course. Right. So okay, so why, when you're at Arizona State, like, do you have any understanding of your tendency? To you know, like you're playing Dungeons and Dragons instead. Uh, well, of- I wasn't playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, I was you just, I was observing it. But you say you're a dork. Like, yeah. do, do you believe? I mean, like, is that just a natural thing? Did you learn it somewhere? Is it just how it happened? It's just your personality? Like, I, how do you understand that? Uh, dorkishness? Yeah. I think my personality has always been to to be an outsider. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. Do you have disdain for humanity? No. Yeah. No, up with people. I think people are great. I, I really do. It's just, I just, I feel... I I feel like um, I'm doing it wrong when I'm in a group of them. Like the larger a crowd is, the the worse it is. Unless I am talking to them and my words are fiction, <laughs> right? You know. So, uh, and I didn't figure that out for a long time. Do you feel like there's like some sort of herd mentality happening when you're in a big group that makes you anxious? Like when you're in a big group of like cheering people, does that make you anxious? Um, I like it when they're cheering. I I went to um. I, you know, like you go to concerts or sports or whatever, and it's fun to be in a group of cheering people. It's sort of like when you're when you're having conversations with people, and there are you know eight people or ten people, and everyone is coming to it with their own uh, their own backstory and their own thoughts and history and um, prejudices and um, fears. And I just I don't want to like mess that up there's a balance that happens when people are talking in a group and and i i don't want to i don't want to offend anyone and then that impulse makes me really want to offend everyone and 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 then so i just need to like remove myself from the situation okay so this is interesting you don't want to offend anyone Mm -hmm. and then and then that kind of flips and you want to offend everyone yeah because that's what that's like and that's a thought process that happens (laughs) wordlessly in your head yeah it used to be worse these days it's it's better but i but i'm just thinking because you've got me thinking back to college like those big 
college parties, I would like, what's the worst thing I can say to this group? Oh yeah. I know what that feels like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever act on it? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have an example? Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah. I don't want to though. (laughs) Really? Come on. What was it? Um, I made some crack about anal sex at a party of pretty young freshmen when I was maybe, maybe 20 or so. Okay. It's like a raunchy joke about anal sex. And, um, what's wrong with that in college? That's what the the college is for. Yeah. I don't know. I went to, I went to high school with these people Uh and like, I don't know. I just remember people were kind of horrified and like, see, I'm, I'm, I'm blushing just thinking about it. Like, oh, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> like, I, I, cause we were all going around the room saying some, it was some like silly question, like, um, like, uh, what was it even? Like, where's the weirdest place you've ever done it? It was like a, that match game joke. Uh-huh. I was just, you know, it was just a joke. Sure. Um, but, um, and people freaked. People were like it was like the, the needle went off the record player like that moment. <laughs> yeah, it was that. Oh god. It's it's funny to remember, but it was just like, like come on, Amelia, like grow up. So. But I mean, I kind of feel like I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit juvenile, but at the same time, I feel like other people need to grow up. Like who cares? Like quit right. being such a prude. Right. You and know? I and I guess everyone everyone eventually did in their own ways. Grow in their up. own way. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've just always, I've always had the impulse to either just remove myself from the argument or, or just complicate it. So you're talking about like in situations where there's some sort of debate, uh, like those kinds of conver- conversations well, in particular. Uh, I, yeah, I would say I don't, I don't usually participate in those unless I feel really strongly. But, um, yeah, but any anything is really an argument or you know talking about your. Um, you know, I, I, I think about this with Facebook, you know, on Mother's Day and people say like, oh, happy Mother's Day to all the great moms out there or like people posting messages to oh, their mothers. I fucking hate that shit. Like what if, what, you know, I just imagine someone whose mom has just died. Right. And you're just reading through these comments with like tears, liberally. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. I'm it's, the same way. And it's like, and it's, I mean, it just feels like an inappropriate place to share a lot of stuff. Yeah. And like, you know, I remember I, I. I don't know. It's it, I fucking hate social media, <laughs> yes. but I'm always on it. I hate myself. <laughs> I'm a self-hating tweeter. Yeah. I need to just get away. Yeah, yeah. I think um, that was. But that sort of stuff, and like, here's my vacation photos, and yeah. here's my best self, and this is what you know. Right. And it's like, I don't know. It just seems lame to me. It seems like a, it seems like it it, it, it ventilates, a, you know, some great aspects of people, and it does some nice things, but it also ventilates some lameness. Sure. It gets wearying. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so you're in college. You're nerding out. You're hanging with the chess team. You're making jokes about anal. Um, <laughs> as you do. As you do. <laughs> as everyone's college experience. Sure. So did you ever break out and do anything crazy? Like, were you drinking and partying and doing what kids do at that age, or were you sort of removed from that? I wasn't really drinking. What I was doing is meeting people on the internet and then taking Greyhound buses out to see them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. Okay. Men? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Older? No. 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 My it's age. Younger. You're like, no. Yeah, yeah. 15. Children. Yeah. <laughs> Children. Yes. So give me a story. Like, what's the best story? And in when I say best, I put that in quotes. Just like, what's the most cinematic <laughs> oh, experience God. you had? Okay. Um, I actually, I, I took a bus from uh, Tempe to Sacramento, uh-huh. um, where I met my boyfriend, quote unquote, 
And this was an internet boyfriend. Internet boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And your parents are not aware of this. Parents were not aware of this. Of course they weren't. And um, we, I, I stayed at his mom's house. I wasn't aware that he was living with his mom. Also, didn't know he had seven brothers and sisters. Oh God! So was he I'm Mormon? In, what was happening? I don't know what was happening. Okay. Um, he used a fake last name. Oh, yeah, good. And uh, all I remember is sitting in a bathtub with the door locked while his mother outside was asking where he got the tramp. And um, were you bathing? I was bathing for you some reason at his house. Felt comfortable enough to bathe. I was going to say, yeah, I haven't bathed since I was four years old. <laughs> no, I just thought I'd draw myself a bath. Yeah, no I big mean, deal. in a stranger's house, yeah. who's using a fake last name, right? See, you, that's a little zen to me. I'm, yeah. impre- I'm impressed. Weird, you know. Um, I'm horrified, but impressed. It's weird. That's basically the story of was my life. Was it clean? Um, the bathtub. Yeah, it just feels weird to me. I don't yeah, know. I'm sort yeah. of a clean, you know. And I just remember the guy throwing knives at a plywood board in uh-huh. the backyard. How old was this guy? I don't. I think he was like 22 or it's like, 23. It's like Kevin Costner in The Bodyguard. He's knife yeah. throwing. <laughs> right. Was he good? I don't, I don't recall. Well, I th- you don't recall. I, that part, don't remember. The bath, I've got that. Okay. Yeah, the bathtub. So the door was locked, though. The door was locked. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I remember we I, we all went to the old spaghetti factory. Uh-huh. And um, hung out with his extended family. And uh, which, guy. which, I mean, this guy's got seven brothers and sisters plus an extended Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Everybody lives in the Sacramento area still. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know. How did it resolve itself? Were you guys sleeping in the same room together? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like the bottom bunk. um, what did this guy look like i mean what what he looked like on the internet is what he looked like when you met him uh yeah yeah it was he was kind of a bigger guy okay Um, heavy set yeah and like uh, what are we talking like 250 you know yeah probably about that real tall like athletic or or just no just round no just pretty round okay um but he was i think he was kind-hearted as i recall um and uh and knife throwing <laughs> knife throwing but kind hearted he was sweet and uh, was was he military did he have like a military inclination he ended up go- he ended up joining the military yeah yeah he I said if a- you're knife throwing then you have some you have some camouflage pants yeah yeah it was a drawer. good idea I think eventually for him to join the military right uh yeah as I recall he was a smart guy but when I came home I um I called him and and broke up with him over the phone. Mm-hmm. How did like how did that go? Um, I don't think we should see each other anymore. It, yeah, I I something like that. Yeah, and and it was sad, and then it was fine, I guess. Yeah. And then it was on to somebody else on the internet. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. okay. So when you were in college, this was what year? This was like two thousand. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the internet was happening at that point. Yeah. We had passed the cusp. kind of new first years of Facebook. Everyone was on MySpace. First years of Facebook or was maybe, 2000? Well, it was before that at Harvard, but... Right. Um, it was right around then. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't I, realize it's been that long. As I recall. Maybe it was o- o- 02 or 03. Well, yeah, well, that was, it was on college campuses at that point. Right, right. I remember so, that because I needed my college email address. See, and so, okay, because was, I was a little bit before that, and so mm-hmm. I didn't get social media, which I always say would have changed things considerably for me. Yeah, probably. In terms of how you meet people and right. all over the place. Yeah. And so just, you were just like social, you were using social media to meet yeah. random guys and then going to see them on Greyhound buses. Right. That's how it went. Yeah, yeah. I met some nice dudes, though. Yeah? Some people who I call friends. Still? Still. So where else did you go? 
Um, a lot of California. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah, just California. Okay. Like L.A., um, San Diego, and Sacramento, mm-hmm. and um, thereabouts. And so did you have any like extended romances with these people, or was it... No. It's like once you met them, you're like, okay, done. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> you're much You're a lot it. less interesting in person. Yeah, yeah. Or like, oh, that was kind of weirder than I thought it would be. And I just needed to experience that a couple of times. I'm like, all right, this is weird. Yeah, got it. I'm taking a bath at some guy's house. Right, right. Although I really, I've always really liked the like the, the experience for for it. I want to say I was a whore for experience, but that's... that. That cheapens it a little bit. But, oh, that's uh. <laughs> good, though. I mean, and, and you, were you thinking I'm going to be a writer at that point? Because um, I feel like writers will sometimes... I mean, I know I had that. Do that. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a writer. I need to do stuff that I'm <laughs> going to be able to write about. So maybe I should put myself in uncomfortable situations. Well, or- it's funny. I've never written about that stuff. It's actually weird to talk about it because I don't usually talk about it at <laughs> You're all. like, I've repressed it so yeah, deeply. <laughs> it's so gone. It's so gone until now. Yeah. Um, but, but no, I... It's not that I wanted to... I had a journalistic idea. I'm still very nervous about writing essays or anything nonfiction, but I just... Why? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I I don't... Um, I can't give the full truth and, and I can't... It's too elusive. Yeah. It's not that you're a compulsive liar. It's just that, like, <laughs> what is the truth? Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know. I... Uh, um, uh, um, I just kind of wanted to to experience different things, as stupid and simplistic as that sounds. And and as if a situation could get more difficult, I would sometimes make it more difficult. And um, you know, I ended up uh, uh, going to see. Remember Cindy Sheehan, that war protester? Yeah, in the Bush era. I, sure. I took a bus up to to see her at. Uh, when she was at the Crawford Ranch in Texas. You went down to the Crawford Ranch? Yeah, on Thanksgiving. Holy cow. And, like, spent the day. Uh, you took a bus? As I re- Yeah. From Tempe? <laughs> no, no. That was when I was living in Austin. So I, I just oh, okay. shot up past Waco. Okay. Yeah. Was... So you've taken a lot of buses. Yeah, strange. You'll meet some strange people on a bus. Sure will. Uh-huh. Sure will. Anything um, ever, ever dangerous or... No, I, I, I mean... I, I've always kind of watched myself, but there's there's been dudes I've sat next to who are like, you can put your head on my shoulder and sleep. It's cool. I'm not going to do anything. Uh-huh. Which is like, okay. <laughs> That's cool. That's not going to happen. No. You didn't take them up on that? No. Okay. No. Did you ever say that to anybody else? Yeah. Every day. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't know, I, but if it's a woman or something. I sat next to a weird uh, young lady named Franny Blue who had a um, methamphetamine problem, and she was mm, maybe... She's chatty. Yeah, she was real chatty and young, uh. and like she kept showing... She wanted to show me her tongue to see if it looked okay, and it had these little uh, like cold sores on it or bol- oh, boluses, God. and oh, man, she was messed up. Sure. Yeah, I finally just wrote about her. It was like my first... My first experience in writing about riding a bus, uh, I wrote about, and it was weird. Franny Blue. Franny Blue. Did you use that name? No. No, changed I changed it. No, I wrote I wrote it as a fiction story, but it was kind of it was kind of her. I mean, the real Franny Franny Blue is much more bombastic and weird, and like wanted me to smell her uh-huh. a couple of different times. Yeah. For what? Uh, like just like do I stink or is yeah. it like okay yeah but like I didn't know if it was like a particular scent she no, would say. I see yeah. yeah do I smell like 
cheese nips? Right now? Cheese nips? No? Okay. Um, so I'm still trying to zero in on this. When did you become a writer? Like, when did you start to work or think that you're going to do this and, guess, and what got you there? Like what inspired you? Yeah, I was, when I was in high school, I had a, I had a philosophy teacher who allowed us to write, uh, short stories illustrating, um, con- the philosophical concepts we were studying. And that was cool. That got me started thinking about that. Is that how you still work to this day? Like, do you ever start with a philosophical concept? Yeah. You do? I do. A lot. Yeah. So give me an example of a philosophical concept that might start you on a story. Um, like, um, well, it's, it's kind of less of a larger thing, but like say the, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to use an example that I'm working on or else I won't finish it. Okay. Something that I've done. Um, like, like, uh, that, that, that men are, uh, men in the dating world are fishermen. Uh, but in, instead of catching fish, they catch women. Um, that idea, which, which was presented to me by a boyfriend of mine, um, he and his dude friend came up with that really brilliant concept. And I was, it just, something about it rankled me. Um, and like we're not fish. Yeah, um, largely that. And and so I, I thought it would be funny to write a story about two dudes who actually saw that that in action and they and they go fishing and talk about women. And then I said, well, what? who would they be dating that would be okay with that? And then the obvious answer was one would date a bag of frozen fish and one would date a paring knife. And I'm like, all right, cool. So what's going to happen to these guys? And that was how I started that story. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And so it was a philosophy class? Uh, Back then, yeah. Yeah. Well, like a story I wrote for for high school, like we would talk about, uh, that example is a recent one, but like way back, we would learn about like existentialism. And and then I would write, she she would have us write a story and I'd write this like, you know, little short story about a man watching a fish swimming upstream or something. Um, Did your teachers tell you like you're good at this? Yeah. They did. Actually, the like one you had teacher, an aptitude for it, obviously. It was sweet. One teacher said, like, I'll see your book on the shelf one day. It was really that, you know, kind of stuck with me. And then in college, I, I took some beginning fiction classes and, and really enjoyed it and then just kept doing workshops. And and they let me sit in on some grad workshops. And, and then, yeah. And that was the extent of your college, or did you get an MFA? I got an MFA. Whereabouts? Uh, Texas State. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how did that go? It was good. You liked it, uh, Texas, yeah, the move, humid. Yeah, I got a truck and um, and and moved to San Marcos, Texas, and uh, why Texas State? I got in. Okay. Yeah, that it was, helps. It was the only place I got into two places, and it was the only place that was going to give me money. Uh huh. So yeah, very. It didn't have very good grades in an undergrad, and so I was kind of just. And I I went straight from undergrad to grad school, which was I don't know people usually weren't against and. And I had nothing better to do, so, um, so I went to Texas. I went to Texas. I moved to Texas, and uh, it was great to be around people who were writers. I felt like I'd never had that community before, and that was that was the best part of it. Yeah, I had the same experience. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so there's other people who are doing this, right? Suddenly, I felt like part of a community. Mm-hmm. It was great, and it was a two year thing. Three. Mm-hmm. Oh, three. Yeah, and you taught, and you got paid to be there essentially yeah a little bit yeah like a, a little stipend and then i taught and they taught and they did pedagogy classes and that kind of thing 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then take me through, uh, you know, a little bit more of your writing career. Like, uh, first of all, I guess a question I want to ask is, do you, you know, it sounds like you went to get your MFA and you're like, well, I didn't have anything better to do, but do you feel like you have a, a, a lot of drive? Are you a really ambitious person? Yeah. My ambition comes out in weird ways, like bowling. If I'm, if I'm losing at bowling, I get really pissed. So you're competitive. I'm very competitive. Yeah. Okay. Ambition expressed in competitive spirit. And like, so do you see yourself like, are you like, what are you trying for? Like, are you just trying to like write like the next good sentence? Or are you like, I am going to be the next blank? Hmm. Well, I, I want to, um, I just want to be able to write and have people pay me to write the next thing. That's the big, the biggest goal. I don't know. Do you think, how close are you? To getting paid? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Pretty close. Um, getting closer. Getting closer. You I made. I mean, you made the big leap to like the fancy publisher. Yeah. You know. Yeah, they gave me a little bit of money, and, right? And uh, I still work, but um, yeah, maybe the next one, or maybe some. I don't know. Screenplay. Are you doing that too? You know, sort of. Noodling. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like what? And you and you. Uh, Hmm. Like when you're writing screenplays, is there like a genre or a particular kind of movie that you're, you know, that you feel like you're drawn to? Lately, I've, I only write funny stuff. I really like writing funny dialogue and, and, um, like, like broad comedy or like quirky comedy. Quirky. See, that's what they always tell me. They're always like, this is, you're really quirky. Oh God. Yeah. I know. I hate it. I know. But you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. I just want to, I, I, I'd love to try my hand at something dramatic and dark and uh visually odd i don't know i don't know my dialogue is just my dialogue has always been kind of quirky but if you have a if you have a comedic sensibility Mm. which you seem to uh is it possible for you to write creatively in a way that is humorless and feel good about it and i'm not saying that it has to be silly because like obviously um you know that's not the case you know with your fiction and I'm sure with your screenwriting, but it's like, you know, that's how, that's kind of what I wrestle with. Cause some writers, they write like straight drama mm-hmm. and it's great. But well, for me, it's like, a, you know, I'm, if I'm writing something and I'm, there's not a laugh in it, uh-huh. I start getting really nervous and huh. I have a hard time feeling good about it. I don't know. I've, I felt, um, I felt like all of threats seemed very, seemed pretty, um, humorless to me but a lot of people say it's funny and then a lot of people say it's very depressing uh and and so i don't know i don't know if i can write straight without i don't know uh an in (sighs) rate straight drama but i don't know that thing i was just talking about the predator story about the bus the girl on the bus is pretty straight uh drama the guy there's a character who sort of says funny stuff but he's really menacing um, that's good know. though. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just that mix. No, it's weird. It's like, I feel like it's a good question. Yeah. I mean, I, and I feel like there's just certain personalities or creative types that the, there's always a strain of that, but it's funny that your friends, like you would think it was like, it's this big serious thing and your friends are like, this is hilarious. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> this is great. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. People so, take different things out of it. Okay, so you're uh, you're at Texas State. You're right. in this community of writers, and then you are working on stories. Yeah. While you're at school, right? And that's your thesis. Mm-hmm. And then you published it. 
Yeah, pretty that mixed with some a couple other things. That was Museum of the Weird. Yeah. And then so wait, you've three books mm-hmm. and you're 29. Right. That's pretty good. Thanks. Do you feel good about that? Yeah. Do you feel like looking around, do you ever look at the other people your own age and like measure yourself? No. That? You don't? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, other people are, other people have these cool like lives and, you know, houses and, and kids and stuff that I don't have. I mean, I haven't gotten that together yet. So what's going on there? Oh, nothing much. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> so wait, you're not seeing anyone. I am seeing someone. Yeah. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no children yet. No children. Yeah. And, uh, Do you want to have kids? I think so. Do you ever, I mean, like, cause it's like, I mean, it's, I'm right in the middle of it, but I mean, it's like, do you think about like, how am I going to balance my writing with my kids? Yeah. That's yeah. a big issue. Totally. I think people like, I think you have to fight for creative time because I it's, it's, so. it's almost always buttressed up against something else. Like there's such a limited amount of people who, when they wake up every day, it's like, all I have to do is write. Right. You know? And yeah. then, uh, that's a very lucky, very thing. lucky. And almost maybe, I mean, that would almost be too weird. Yeah, I would, I would psych myself out if I, that's all I really had to do. But man, raising a raising a kid or like having a nine to five job or something like that would, I don't know, I don't know how I would how I would handle it. I'm kind of trying to give it a couple more years and then and then think about it more. Yeah, but, you're young. Yeah, I'm very young. You, do you have any like uh, trepidation about turning thirty? Uh, not really. I'm actually. Everyone I know who has turned 30 says, you know, wouldn't do 20s again to save I would, yeah. anything. I think that uh, I think that my 20s were way harder than my teens. Yeah. My I, teens were easy. My teens are still my, you know, I did, it's only gotten harder for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Well. You know? Yeah. I don't feel like life gets easier. I mean, maybe I'm missing something, but well, like. Well, I don't a, know. I've, 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 I, the 20s were pretty rough for me and the teens were, were pretty awkward. Yeah. Uh, what about your twenties was rough? Like what? What? Just the struggle to get published and the struggle to well, find a foothold, or what? What is it? Or relationships? Yeah, it or? was relationships mixed with mixed with that community stuff. I mean, during undergrad and not really having a place, and then and then and then finding all these people who's and I don't know. Going to Texas State, everyone felt like an insta soulmate kind of thing. And did uh, you have some tight friendships there? Yeah, super tight. People I talk to every day. Uh huh. Yeah. Every still. day? Mm-hmm. Like or like text with every day. Yeah, text with. Not like actual phone call. No, no nobody does that. That anymore. would be a little weird. <laughs> Although a guy I went to grad school with uh, was he lived on my couch for a couple months at the beginning of the year. Not not an intimate, just like no, a friend. No, no, because he was on the couch. Okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't, oh, that's right. Right. But he was just taking bath and. <laughs> yeah, taking a bath, <laughs> anal sex, <laughs> no big deal. Um. No, yeah, very good, very close, good friends, um, and that was that was mid twenties, tumultuous relationships, and how many like how many boyfriend like multiples like multiple tumultuous or just sure yeah 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 you know that I'm, happens. I'm a I'm a dilly of a pickle, as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What does that mean? Do you date a lot? I mean, it sounds like you date a lot. I date, yeah. I'm, How do you meet people? Because like that was always hard for me. Like you go to a bar and like, would you say something to somebody? Like, I don't what, know. Does it just happen to you? Well, I just moved here in October. Uh huh. And in Austin, it was a lot harder. Really? Yeah. I always feel like in Austin, everyone's meeting everyone and hooking well, up. Well, everyone's meeting everyone and hooking up, but like nothing serious. No. Okay. Yeah. 
Nobody's got a job. Uh-huh. That kind of thing. Everyone's like in a band. Everyone's in a band. Yeah. Yeah. That's what my friend said who lived there. Everyone like works at a coffee shop and is in a band. Yeah. I mean, ideally they work at a coffee shop. That's a good job. Right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I love Austin, but it was one of those, woke up seven years later and was like, holy shit, I got to get out of here. Got to get out. Got to get out. So how did you wind up in LA? Um, I, I, I came out here on my birthday in August and, uh, what's your birthday? August 17th. Okay. It's my grandmother's birthday. Really? I'm August 1st. Oh. Both of my sisters are on August 18th. Leo's. Yeah. A whole Leo's family all. of them. Whoa. It's weird. That's pretty cool. Uh, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I came out and, and shot a cool, like short film with my friend and you acted in it or you, you, were... well, it was like a, I was reading threats on the back of a moped. And, and the moped was going down like Hollywood Boulevard and, 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 you know, I'm someone's like, filming you, someone's filming from, like, a, from, from a, another car, from another car. And we're, I'm shouting into the car and we're like, we're, we're like pacing to keep up with each other. And, and it was very, you know, scary and cool. Um, that was so much fun. And, it, and, um, you know, I met a bunch of cool people and everyone was doing different creative stuff and, it's like everyone I met, it was, you know, someone who writes for TV, someone who makes movies, someone who writes for... That's a great thing about LA. Yeah. Everyone's like, the the, the creative arts are the business in town. Yes. It's and not, it, no. it was just sort of like a gigantic, I mean, freaking community of people who were, who were doing stuff, at least, and not just, you know, thinking about someday writing a short story or something. You know, like people would stay home and write for eight hours. And, and that was at the time incredible to me. And so I, and it was, so it was pretty easy for my friends to convince me to move out here. And they did. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you just moved out. You have roommates and everything. No, I live on my own. Oh, you do? Yeah. And you're just dating up a storm. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, I guess. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice. It's easier than Austin to like meet people who are cool and fun. So what do you, how do you meet them? Uh, friends of friends okay. usually, yeah. yeah. But you're not just like going out into a public space and like somehow... It's me! Yeah. Yeah. Meeting a stranger. No. Although, you know, you meet strangers uh-huh. at bars or at um, meditation class. You or... go to meditation? Uh, yeah, every now and then. Or do you meditate regularly? Not regularly. I need to be better. Yeah, everyone does. It's the one thing that I think to myself, if I did this every day and I never missed... It'd be great. It would be good. Mm-hmm. And the cumulative effect would be... like it, Right. It would uh, it would be gold yeah. in my life. But it's the same with like brushing your teeth. And who does that every day? I do. Oh. I floss. No. I swear to God. Jesus. I'm very good about it. Well, all right. So maybe I should uh, I should meditate. So where do you go to this meditation class? There's a place called Beyond the Stream. Beyond, Beyond the Stream? Stream? Yeah. Sounds a little oh. urinary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I uh, they just teach you how to like sit down and breathe, and you sit, and then and then they talk about a like a concept or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, something, but that that you can use that's formative for your for your life. Uh, Does it help you creatively? Um, maybe I don't know. It's the same damn thing as being a writer because you're just sitting down and breathing, <laughs> trying to stay focused right. on one thing. Although when I write, I always make this weird face. What's People the- make fun of me, like. A, People can see you write. Well, like if I'm working with my boyfriend or my or friends, like is he like, a writer too? He is. Yeah. Like what kind of a fiction? TV. And okay. He writes fiction too, but yeah. Is he is he on a show or is he working to get on a show? He's they he's writing a show. Oh okay. Yeah yeah. Um, 
but yeah, no, he was making fun of me because I was doing this like furrowed brow thing. He's like, something okay? And I'm like, oh, I'm just writing this <laughs> fiction. It's a weird, weird face. And that's like your creative face. That's my creative face. God only knows what face I make. No one ever sees me. Really? No, I mean, no. I'm yeah. just huddled away in here. Yeah. I, I don't like to be in... I, I cannot write in public. Really? I don't want anyone looking at me. Okay. I want the door shut. That's Catholic, <laughs> man. That is Catholic. No, but I can't concentrate for one thing, but I also... Uh, I'm too self-conscious. I used to like go to these cafes when I was a young guy, like in my 20s, and I would do it because I was like working all day. Mm-hmm. And the only way that I could stay up was to be out in public. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would just like, it was just too sleepy at home. Right, right. And then I needed caffeine. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, look, I look back on that mm-hmm. self and I think like, what a douchebag. <laughs> it's like public interest, like advertising introspection in public at a fucking cafe. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Um, sort of. I mean, it's a little bit harsh. I but, get what you're, yeah, I get what you're saying. But I just, uh, I just, I, there's something, and every time I see somebody doing it, I mean, not that, you know what? I shouldn't say that. When mm-hmm. I'm out in Los Angeles and I go to a coffee shop and I see somebody working on their laptop, it's fine. I think it's more of the journal. Oh, the journaling. Because I was writing in like these like moleskins. That's sweet. It is kind of sweet. It's very sweet. But it's also like... What a jackass. What a jackass. (laughs) Story of my life. Well, Amelia, it's been fun talking with you. I appreciate you taking the time to come over and do this. Yeah, this is great. Was this fun? This was really fun. You're you're okay with it? I feel okay. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten some stuff off my chest. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, good luck with everything. Thanks. Okay, then, folks, that's it. You just heard it. That's the program. That is Amelia Gray. What an enjoyable conversation. Very fun talking with her. Go get her novel. It's called Threats. It's available now from FSG, and you can find her on the web if you'd like. Her address is ameliagray.com. Gray is G-R-A-Y. You can find her on the Twitter. Her handle is at Gray Amelia, and she's on Facebook. This show has a website. It's otherpeoplepod.com. It has a Twitter feed, at otherpeoplepod. I have a Twitter feed, at Brad Listy. The show has a Facebook presence, and if you'd like to email me, the address is letters at otherpeoplepod.com. Thank you to Kill Rockstars for all the great music. Be sure to check out killrockstars.com. And uh, if you enjoy the program, please do go rate it and review it over at iTunes. It takes two minutes uh, or maybe even 90 seconds, and it really does help the cause. So please do this, and this does mean you listening right now, if you can, if it's within your powers. Oh, that would be great. Otherwise, uh, what to say? Uh, the lottery? Money, that whole spiel from the uh, top half of the show, the top end, uh, it's sort of strange, and I do feel a little bit bad about it You know, upon further reflection, uh, looking at my behavior and, and feeling like uh, maybe there was a little bit of uh, Bilbo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings happening, if you can remember uh, that particular scene, the one in which he is exposed to the ring and kind of freaks out. You know, It wasn't quite so severe, uh, but it was there in this uh, intense uh, you know, imagination process that I went through. And it sort of makes me wonder, you know, is this a sign of a weak and diminished character? Do I need to work on myself? Am I at risk somehow? Is the mere fact that I played the lottery in the first place, some kind of bad sign? Uh, it's hard to know. And I suppose only time will tell. Uh, yeah. And I think that's it. So please remember that T.S. Eliot was afraid of cows and that Jack Kerouac was given a Section 8 discharge from the Army for mental instability. Thank you very much for listening. I do appreciate it. I'll be back again soon with another episode. And uh, that's it. That's all I got. I did not win the lottery, and that's okay. I'm not bitter. Uh, I'm not at all bitter, and I didn't expect it to happen. You know, Because who would be foolish enough to expect a thing like that to happen and to actually entertain intricate fantasies of it happening? <laughs>
for an extended period of time. 